Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco, and drink. I'm Steve Ryder, here with Kay Hidamine, and we are in the illustrious Lion's Den in Monument, Colorado, hosted by Derek and Susan Fulmer. Thank you both for letting us set up shop in here. And today we are with Gunnar Johnson, a holy smoker since when? Probably 2014 when Reed Grafke brought me out to Holy Smokes Group in Colorado Springs. And our first question that we always ask everyone that we sit down with, what you smoking today? Uh, This is a Toronto. I'm normally a Ezra Zion cigar guy. I just came back from the airport, didn't get a chance to run by the house. So yeah, it's a good stick. Okay, what you got? I'm empty-handed, but looking. <laughs> <laughs> and I am on my last CAO Flathead 660. And uh, this is the third interview that I've had with this stick in my hand. So this one has lasted quite a bit. This That's is a, pretty cool. Yeah, this is a nice long one. So, Gunner, tell us about your story. Where'd you grow up? Oh, man. Who is Gunner Johnson? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I was born at a very young age and (laughs) to two parents. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and, um, you know, had the typical Christian upbringing, Church of Christ family, until about junior high when my parents divorced and um, kind of sent us into a tailspin. My mom remarried pretty quickly, but that guy was physically abusive. So I ended up Mm. leaving home at about 15 years old Mm. and... um, Worked out a deal with my dad. He said, you know, a couple of rules around the house. No smoking inside and stay out of my way. I'm sowing my wild oats. Mm. So um, we had a great relationship, actually, but he was kind of absent most of the time. You know, painful going through the divorce for him. And the cool thing was my dad is a motorhead. He has a motorcycle shop and a custom 4x4 shop, and we've always been into cars and bikes and so we'd park our motorcycles inside the house we had no carpet and it was the ultimate bachelor pad with a hole in the ceiling and a engine hoist hanging from the rafters and we worked on motorcycle engines and car engines in the kitchen and yeah it was my girlfriend at the time now my wife of 23 years she was shocked when we first rode the motorcycle through the front door of the house and parked in front of the couch and wow she's like you live like this i'm like oh yeah this is great Yeah. So, so we were at breakfast last Friday and one of the things you told me was you weren't with your dad very long. No, I kind of came in and out that dad was, you know, he was, um, trying to get his life back together, but I would stay with friends. I would hop around a bit and I ended up my senior year in high school. I was dating my wife, Missy, and her parents noticed I didn't really go home anywhere in particular. And they said, we'd like for you to move in with us and room with Missy's brother under very, very strict supervision. And her dad is still my best friend. My father-in-law is amazing, but he's a very strong, disciplined construction worker, no mess around guy. And he just really took me in and loved me. I needed a manly, godly man to help me sort life out. So your in-laws, your future in-laws, your girlfriend at the time, her parents were strong believers, people of faith. 
strong believers, people of faith, and they had a heart for the outcast, and I was a bit of an outcast. I looked a little bit like um, a James Dean character in high school leather jacket, wrote a a 1978 CB750 to high school. Um, <laughs> wow. I had a cool black bike and I had a van. So I had a, a motorcycle and a van. That's like every dad's nightmare right there. <laughs> and then to invite you in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what kind of maturity really to be able to see here's a kid that's, you know, mm. dating my daughter and then to invite you in and present all that potential temptation absolutely when they weren't around and his daughter was hot as my wife still is hot so yeah i mean it was crazy <laughs> but you know what i got saved at 17 i was radically on fire for the lord so i was um you know i had that basis of faith and my father-in-law was an avid witnesser on the job he led people to the lord all the time he was an avid bible reader and so you know we had a foundation of faith and i was you know, heading up the young Republicans group in the area. And, you know, I was politically active even at, at 18 years old. And just, I think I was a unique kid, entrepreneurial, had a landscape company. I was farming out uh, jobs with landscapers. I was working in network. I worked at the movie theater as well. And I had bartered out with restaurants and bowling alleys and putt-putt golf. I had all these people coming in for free movies and I was going to free things at their job. So I, I was pretty entrepreneurial, just a different kid, you know, looking back on it, he was crazy. I would have never done that, but he saw something in me. He told me, he's told me since for 20 something years, he's told me, Hey, I saw God's call in your life. Ooh. And I knew Ooh. that God called me to mentor you. He said that a lot. Wow. That's beautiful, man. It's amazing. And he's still my best friend and walks with me through everything. So yeah, it's a really unique situation, but God has a way of determining our destiny and putting the right men and women in our lives. And to be frank, you know, the Holy Smokes group, I've run into more godly mentors smoking cigars in the Holy Smokes group than anywhere else. I've. It's concentrated. It's awesome. It's a great group of dudes. Now, you weren't just a James Dean kind of kid, motorhead, working on bikes, all that stuff. But you also were an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> that was um, and a good one, too. Yeah, I was first team All-State in basketball. I played a guard at 6'4 and had a 30-something inch vertical leap. So I could dunk on people and shoot three-pointers. I was kind of a – I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. My dad was uh, living in an area where I got to play with the – you know, I got to, frankly, I had to play rough ball with the brothers and guys that really knew how to play ball. So when I um, began to play high school ball, I was trash-talking and just – I knew how to play. <laughs> And I didn't the skills to back it up. Yeah, well, I mean, I I grew. I got beat up on a lot, so that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, but first team all state in Texas, which is not a small. It's not like being first team all state in Wyoming or first team all state in Montana or a low population state. Yeah, it was a unique season of my life. I I could have gone on to play college ball, but I visited a few schools, and you know, having to kind of make ends from my ends meet on my own. I, I didn't want to go through the college regimen. Those guys work really hard to be athletes and, you know, I, and students and students. I mean, they have to kill it in the classroom too. I mean, those guys are amazing. All coll- collegiate athletes are amazing to me, but, um, I wanted to move on with life. I was ready to quite frankly, I was ready to get married to my girlfriend at the time. And I just wanted to get moving in life. I was done with school. So 
Yeah, I didn't move on to college. I actually moved down to Southwest Florida from the Dallas-Fort Worth area with my in-laws. My father-in-law said, I'll give you a job doing drywall in my company, and you can work for me for a couple of years before I allow you to get married. Ooh. The cool thing is I didn't have to work seven years, and I got the right wife on the first <laughs> shot. <laughs> it was good for me, though. I, I grew a lot. He handed me a Walkman. He said, hey, when you're on the job with me, you're, you're going to listen to what I want you to listen to. I recommend this. And um, it was Firefighters for Christ, Expositional Teaching by Chuck Missler. So I began to learn the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And I was consumed by the Word of God at 18, 19 years old. That's awesome. That's awesome so how old were you when you guys got married? I was 20 and she was 17. So you're in Southwest Florida. What area? Uh, Port Charlotte, Charlotte County, Gulf of Mexico side. Sunset side. The oldest people in Florida, they all live in uh, West Palm Beach, but their grandparents live in Port Charlotte. So <laughs> very slow, <laughs> very, very slow. Nothing to do, but really work a lot. And I went out, there was a booth in the mall that said, learn to, learn to fly. And I got my pilot's license at 18 and we flew up and down the coast looking for fish. And it was a cool, you know, it's a cool season of my life, but you know, God really used it and I'm thankful for it. So where did you go after that? Like what, start having babies? We didn't have a, a couple of years into our marriage. We had our first child, but I'd moved, we moved back from Florida to Texas and I bought a Kim Dry carpet cleaning franchise. I was the youngest franchise owner in the country out of about 4,500 franchises. And, um, how'd you get that financed? Well, it was interesting. Missy's grandparents owned it. Her grandfather started coming down with Alzheimer's and they wanted me to, to run the company. I said, you know what? I, I would rather buy it from you. And so they did some financing for us and then we did well with the business, but ended up only keeping it for about, um, about 15 to 18 months and sold it when God really got a hold of my life. And that's where my calling started to come into picture. All right. Kind of talk about that a little bit more. What's that calling and how did it really kind of germinate? I knew when I got saved at 17, I was called to teach the Bible on money. I had no idea what that meant, but that's what was in my heart. That's what I kept hearing from the Lord. So 23 years old, young business owner doing well. We were making over 200 grand a year. And that's a lot of money when you're 23 and immature. You can have a lot of good times. Yeah. But um, we were going into debt on top of making good money. And uh, I was at church, did go to church, lived in the Bible Belt. You had to go to church if you're, you know, good business owner. And I saw in the bulletin, there was a class on what the Bible said on money taught by, uh, it was Howard Dayton's crown ministry, small group class. I took it really skeptically. I actually thought this is the stupidest manipulation I've ever seen a church try to pull. They're going to trick me into giving by trying to tell me there's money stuff in the Bible. That was my literal thought. <laughs> you ever have those thoughts that the Lord kind of highlights in your mind? Like, son, we're coming back to this. <laughs> yep. 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 <laughs> well, I had one of those moments. I went in uh -huh. with my arms crossed. Like I left my wallet in the car. I'm like, I am not going to be manipulated. I went into that class and only about three weeks in, I realized, you know what? I don't think I have a financial problem. I have a heart problem. Mm. I'm serving God for what he'll give me. I'm a materialistic idol worshiping. Ooh. Christian, right? Oh. So I prayed a really dangerous prayer, one that many great leaders have prayed over the years. Lord, anything you want from my life, I'll do it. I just want to follow you. Pretty dangerous. Very dangerous because the first thing he said is sell your business. It's an idol. I'm like, no, 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 Lord. I mean, 
can't we work out a deal? I'm going to be like this carpet cleaning tycoon. It's going to be good because I'm going to learn to tithe and, and you're going to be really blessed by what I give. And I was so ridiculous. I, I argued with God and about the time I'm arguing with the Lord, my phone rings. And it's a buddy of mine. I have no idea how he heard. He's like, hey, I heard you're selling your business. I'm like, what? What? Are you serious? He's like, yeah, man, I heard it through church. You know how to get a, a rumor spread really fast through just, church. <laughs> just tell someone in church. Just tell them it's a prayer request. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody will know. So anyways, uh, my buddy Jim Emerson, he bought the company from me, and we moved back down to Southwest Florida, and I started a drywall company with my father-in-law's blessing. I did that for five years while also serving a man named Larry Burkett. Mm. I went Is on that where he was? Was yeah. he in Southwest Florida? He was okay. in, um, at that time he was, they went from Orlando up to Gainesville, Georgia. Yeah. And I was the uh, Southwest Florida director for Crown Ministry. I served from Naples to Sarasota. So when a church would call into the radio show, they'd dispatch me in my drywall van with a load of clothes and a duffel bag. <laughs> and I'd clean up in the church bathroom and I'd go meet with the pastor and begin to teach him how to do discipleship around money what the Bible says, how to create a culture of generosity. And I started that when I was about 24 years old. So at what point did, because you worked full-time eventually for Crown, correct? Well, I was part-time because most of the Crown reps, if they weren't retired and self-funded, then they spent, they were kind of on the navigator's model where you raise your own support. There's a lot of organizations that do that. But um I had to raise a certain amount of support and I just covered it by my drywall company and was self-funded in ministry for about five years. So for people that aren't familiar with Howard and with Larry, talk a little bit about what those ministries are, who those men were yeah. or who Larry was and who Howard is. Uh, Larry was a, um, a NASA engineer who was an atheist up until his, in his thirties. And then he, the guy got a hold of his heart and he began to uh, get mentored by the guys at Moody. And he had a lot of good influences on his life. But his thing was money. He loved to teach what the Bible said on money. And he was an avid student of the word. He was also a prolific author. So he wrote a lot of books about it. And he started a radio show, which really took off. And um, he started with a curriculum called Business by the Book. And then his uh, radio show, it launched. And so he had the books and the radio show and Howard Dayton had a small group study and a network of volunteers around the country. So they ended up merging together and creating Crown Financial Ministries. It was Christian Financial Concepts and Crown Ministry. So Crown Financial Ministries and they had a national staff all around the U.S. helping to serve churches and serve people. It was a, they're really big back in the day. One of the guys wow. that they mentored was a, a dude that's done pretty well named Dave Ramsey. Yeah. So yeah, Larry was Larry, Ron Blue, uh, Howard Dayton. They were kind of the front runners in the '80s, early '80s of this whole generosity and stewardship movement. I was lucky to kind of fumble my way in in like 1999 with those guys, and most of my colleagues were 50s, 60s. I was like the really young guy, <laughs> and I loved it because they loved me, and I needed those kind of men and women in my life. All right, so we had a little bit of a technical difficulty batteries went dead on my Zoom H6 and I don't have enough enough uh, batteries to go and refill and so we jumped over here to my my handheld recorder and uh, so anyway so 
tell us a little bit about who Larry was because he's passed away from cancer. He was an incredible dude. I got to meet him a couple times at Focus during my time there. So what, what was it like being around Larry and who was Larry Burkett? Larry was a NASA engineer who came to faith in his 30s. He was an avid writer, avid scholar, Bible scholar. He was mentored by a lot of the um, moody guys. And when Larry got a hold, when God got a hold of Larry's life, he went full on teaching first a curriculum called the Bible on business by the book, business by the book. That took off, created a radio show, began to write books. And his radio show began to grow across the Christian networks, and that's where you ran into him yeah. when you were at Dobson. But um, yeah, when Howard Dayton started uh, Crown Ministries, which was a small group study with a team of volunteers all around the nation, and then uh, Larry and Howard merged back around, um, I think around 1999, I started with Larry Burkett with Christian Financial Concepts as a one-on-one -on -one budget coach. So people would call the radio show and he'd have a team of volunteers around the nation that they dispatched to coach. And then um, when they merged, I became the Southwest Regional Director, Southwest Florida Director, covering from Naples to Sarasota. And, um, you know, that was a lot of fun to kind of follow in their footsteps because these guys were spiritual juggernauts, you know. They were yeah. amazing men. Yeah. Larry was a kind and gentle guy, also a motorhead like me, you know, a car guy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he passed away cancer. I believe right around 2000, but um, yeah, Howard carried that torch for quite some time, then retired, Chuck Bentley took Crown Ministry, and then Howard came out of retirement with the small group study with Compass Financial Ministry, and Howard's been a mentor to me for many, many years, so has Chuck Bentley. Um, they're all wonderful men of God. So you're a small business owner, God's really working on your heart about money and giving and he also told you that story or that I told you you're going to teach about your money and the bible yeah how did that develop well i wasn't a giver and as i began to give i began to really enjoy it i was pretty stingy skeptical idol worshiping materialistic i thought all those were my spiritual gifts but i couldn't find them in the bible <laughs> <laughs> well anyways um I began to train churches around the country and I did one-on-one -on -one counseling. So after a while, when my business was up and running, I began to serve on Thursdays at the church. I'd take on the one-to-one -one benevolence counseling and then budget counseling and kind of had a network of churches up and down the Southwest region. And so we would work together and, and help each other out. And then I, I got trained by Dave Scobie to be a Journey to Financial Freedom seminar instructor for crown and i began to travel and teach these day-long seminars in churches now mind you most of the crown folks were like 50s 60s and up yeah and yeah. i was like 24 like, yeah hey, i was a young guy and so um it, it was a great experience for me and i knew god had called me to that but i was just faithfully studying the bible expositionally doing drywall loving it i have a drywalled up bible that's all wore out looking and i'd study from like sun up to sundown and I knew God was preparing me for something, but I had no idea what. So then I got a call. I'm sitting on a, bo a box of mud in my garage with my guys <laughs> eating lunch. And I get a call from a church I grew up in that I actually took that first Bible study with. And they said, hey, we've been following you and we'd like for you to interview to be our stewardship pastor. And I said, I think you have the wrong number. <laughs> I mean, 
I'm like, I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to college. I'm the least qualified to be a pastor. I don't know about that. And now my wife and I had gone to a Dennis Rainey marriage conference and they had us do this exercise. We wrote down, if money was no object, what would you do? And list that out. So when the church sent me the job description and I looked at what I'd already written out, I realized, holy cow, they're similar. They're really similar. Like, God, you've been setting me up to be a pastor all this time. Wow. I'm like, I don't think wow. I can do that. Yeah. And... I interviewed kind of as like, well, I'll just give this a shot. I'm not going to get the job, but they loved it. They liked me and they offered me the job after about six months of interviewing. And so I moved back. I sold my drywall company. I moved from Florida to Texas in um, 2003 and went on staff at the Hills Church. They were Crown's Church of the Year the previous year. So that was where everything was happening. And I was a stewardship minister in the church that I grew up in, which a prophet has no honor in their home, you know? Yeah. So it was, it was a mixed bag. The church was amazing, but, you know, I was the kid who was always caught smoking behind the building or, <laughs> you know, starting fires in the bathroom or, you know, being inappropriate in youth group. You know, I was, I was not the model student. And so, in fact, there was this funny story. One of the elders of the church, every Christmas, his wife was the English teacher at the school I went to, and we'd go down with our pickup trucks to the recycling lot with all the Christmas trees. We'd load up our pickups in the middle of the night, and we'd start stacking Christmas trees up against her front door. And um, when they'd open the front door in the morning, all these Christmas trees would fall in, and you had to move like 50, 60 trees to get out of the way. <laughs> well, her husband was one of the elders interviewing me, and he said, well, now that I'm interviewing you to be a pastor at our church, were you involved in that Christmas tree stunt every year? I was like, I can't really answer that, sir. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it was a redemptive story. You know, the, I remember meeting one of my friends in the lobby at church and he's like, hey, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm one of the ministers. He's like, oh, BS, no way. What are you doing here? I'm like, no, seriously, I'm one of the ministers. He's like, there's no way, dude. What in the world are you doing? And I'm like, no, I'm serious. I'm, I've really got a hold of my heart and I'm, uh, I'm one of the ministers here. And so it was fun to come back home and witness to a lot of my friends who were wondering, what the heck got into you? What happened? And I was able to lead a lot of my friends to the Lord in my 20s. A lot of my friends I grew up with. That's awesome. How long were you there at the church? I was at the Hills Church for two years. And then a small up-and-coming church called Gateway Church with Robert Morris called. Brady Boyd got a hold of me and said, hey, our pastors preach this blessed life message. We don't know how to disciple people. And we've heard that you know how to do that. Could you help us out? I said, yeah, I'll give you the blueprint and I'll go on my way. Well, about six weeks into helping them, they said, we really think God's called you to our church. Now, mind you, I was at a church of about 5,000 people, largest church of Christ in its whole group. And when you hit that church of Christ, you just kind of, you're at the Mecca. You don't go anywhere yeah. from there. Yeah. And Gateway was a startup small church in South Lake, Texas. And so... I really had to pray that through, and my wife was 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 at the time. It's, it's about thirty-five thousand people now. Yeah, they've grown. They're on seven or eight campuses. Um, they've done really, really well. But I came on staff at Gateway in two thousand six as their stewardship pastor, and they put me on the executive team, and I got to ride the growth of the church and grow in that environment, which put me in an international platform to teach the Bible and money, Israel, all over Europe all over the United States. You know, I was really exported from Gateway to serve a lot of churches. And um, they published my first book. And you know, What's the title of that book? Um, it's The Generous Life Journey. 
Available on Amazon or on my website, LearnGenerosity.com. Okay. So the website's LearnGenerosity.com, and we'll have that link in the show notes. Yeah. I've also got curriculum I wrote with uh, Hillsong Church called uh, FinancialFreedom.Courses. So that's the website. It's a financial freedom course. It's a small group study teaching the Bible on money. I didn't want to have boring, nerdy stuff, so I always wanted to have cool and kind of relevant to the young generation type materials. But teaching the timeless principles of money, what the Bible says on money more specifically and how to apply that in our lives. Yeah. So God's opened the doors for me to work with amazing people. Dave Ramsey and I have been friends for like 16 years. Yeah. Ron Blue and I have been friends for 20 years. I've had a lot of amazing men of God in this space in my life. And I'm 44, just turned 44 this week. But I'm considered one of the veterans in this space but yet still one of the younger guys. So it's a real blessing from the Lord. I never thought I'd get a chance to, I mean, I'm, I'm the kid that barely got out of high school, you know, and God's put me in front of a lot of cool groups to teach the Bible and money, and um, I'm just amazed by His grace. So how long were you there at, what was the name of the church? Gateway Church. So how long were you there at Gateway Church, and where did you go after that? I was with Gateway for 12 years and began to teach a lot outside the church, so I felt like I was doing the splits. I couldn't be a good pastor, a good dad, good father, good husband. And I just ended up leaving to go to LearnGenerosity.com, started my own consulting company, training churches. And I also have a line of products that go to individuals through financialfreedom.courses. And so, yeah, I, I still serve individuals, preach, teach, and I mostly consult with churches and help them build cultures of generosity, teaching the Bible. I'm not a fundraiser. I'm a faith raiser, and I specialize at the intersection of faith and finances. So, Gunnar, what does it look like if uh, someone who's listening to this podcast wants to engage you with LearnGenerosity.com, right? Right. Yeah, the first thing we do is um, I'll take a look at what's going on in the church using an analytical framework of their choice. Got a couple recommendations there. I like to dissect what's really happening, because what I find a lot of pastors don't really know what's going on financially. Not that they don't know what the budget is and what the finances are that are coming in, but they don't know how to segment the people group within the church to see where the giving's coming from. So we do some analytical research. I do a one-day teaching called The Generosity Revolution with the staff and the key leaders and elders of the church, help them get a theological underpinning, teach them about what analytics they're looking at and then how to build the ministry, including the asset-based giving and plan giving pieces. And then I show them how to implement a culture of generosity, preaching, teaching, celebrating, applying. That way you're reaching all your socioeconomic groups, not just the wealthy in the church, not just the poor, but you're struggling, you're stable, you're solid, you're surplus families. Mm. And that way you can really reach into the lives of people where they are and help them learn what the Bible says on money and how to practically apply it. So I generally work on a one-year consultancy with a church and uh, just walk with them on a weekly basis at first, and then we'd switch over to about every other week after a few months and do whatever's needed to help them get moving and you know, become successful around this subject matter. It has a massive impact on the culture of the church. It not only raises generosity, but it raises volunteers. It's life-changing. It's life-changing not only for the staff, but for the people and, and everyone in the middle. It's amazing. I would assume that you're not just teaching the pastor how to ask for money 
from the pulpit because pastors really can be very manipulative when when the finances are getting low that's when they roll out the messages about giving and generosity and tithing and all that kind of stuff yeah. which really are, it's 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 a very manipulative kind of thing well it can be but to give pastors a break most of them weren't trained on what the bible says on money so you know if you'll disciple people take the 17 of the 34 parables that Jesus wrote on money, he used money as a medium to teach spiritual truths. If you'll begin to train the staff on that and then show them how to implement that across the church, the generosity quotient in the church will go up a lot. And then they don't have to teach as much on giving. They can sprinkle that in. It takes the financial pressure off the church. It helps the pastor not teach just one subject matter, but you know, it's like, 2300 scriptures on money in the bible there's a lot of stuff in there so if he'll give them a full buffet of teaching around the subject matter not just giving but you know saving and getting out of debt and living with margin and having a christ-centered worldview all these things are super important to our walk with christ this is practical theology that someone can go home and apply right away generosity that's a big piece to it but you know they've got to teach the lordship the generosity and they've also got to teach biblical stewardship which is the management of money according to the word of god okay generosity is something that is very near and dear to your heart because you are with the journey of generosity organization correct yeah the organization is called generous giving which can be found at generousgiving.org and we have a retreat an overnight retreat that Actually, Gunner is a trained facilitator for. In fact, he was one of the first training sessions many years ago that does what's called a journey of generosity. And we teach on the biblical basis of generosity. And so what does that journey look like? What does that event actually look like? Mm. So typically it's about five to six couples and people go away or they do it in homes. And it starts, say, at like three o'clock in the afternoon. They get to know each other. They have a time a couple sessions together they have dinner together they break bread together very casual and then it ends at 9 p.m the next day it starts at 8 30 they have breakfast and then it ends right at noon and what's distinctive about the journey of generosity is that it is self-discovery meaning there's not a lot of teaching we watch videos and testimonies of people who have just living radically generous lives and you just see the joy of god all over them and you know because so often as business people you know we feel like we're an atm at church you know whenever there's like a you know someone's going to hit you up for money or something like that right i mean right gunner i mean it's it's like you know when i was you know when i was in business and giving away money and and you know a person would call me and say hey i want to get together with you and get to know you let's have coffee and the first thing is you hang up you go well is that going to be a thousand dollar coffee or is it going to be a ten thousand dollar coffee right (laughs) and god needed to work in my own heart which was being jaded when it came to generosity. And the realization is that God owns it all. And so what we did through the journey of generosity is create a safe place for people to talk where there's no ask. And meaning that there's no fundraising, there's no pitch, there's nobody um, hitting you up for money throughout the entire time. And it's a great place where you learn from one another and each other's peers. In fact, um, I was, uh, I've been a generosity, journey of generosity facilitator since about 2006 and the McQuellen Foundation funds the generous giving ministry and there's absolutely no way to give to the ministry 
which is awesome because you put all these people in the room, like Kay said, they're sitting there holding onto their wallet thinking, is this yeah. a $10,000 event? And then you tell them, hey, there's no way to give to us and there's no ask that's gonna happen. This is between you and the Lord to grow in generosity, hear God, do what he says, and there's no way for you to give. There, there will be no transaction. It's transformational, it's not transactional. So that makes people relax because they don't believe you for a while. They're like, yeah, right, they're gonna ask somehow. No, no, there's no ask. The question is, how did God wire you? Well, if we're to be like his son Jesus and follow the character of God, God's a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave, you know? Everyone knows yeah. John 3.16. So then as we emulate God in the generosity space, what we find is that it unlocks all of these things in our heart that give us the ability to fulfill what God's called us to do. And when you're open-handed with the Lord, you can't outgive God. That's a crazy little Christian cliche that we hear all the time, but it's really, it's serious. So as these people begin to grow in their generosity, God begins to trust them with more and open up a lot of doors for them in a lot of areas of their life that they couldn't get to before. It's radically transformational. Yeah, and what blows people away, and I love it, I call it where the lights sort of come on when they're going through this journey of generosity, is that they realize that it's really a message of surrender. A surrender to God in all the areas of their lives, whether it's idolatry, living in the right neighborhood, making a certain amount of money, security could be an idolatry, or maybe even just spoiling the kids. And like wherever it's easy to give away money or spend money on is probably idolatrous if it's not God. Yeah. And, you know, because God comes first in everything. And so you realize that the surrender aspect is a surrender of your heart, of your life, and all that we own is really His anyway. And we're just called to be stewards. What's amazing is um, God doesn't want us to live poor. He actually gives us things to enjoy. So as we begin to get our heart right before the Lord, He can entrust us with more. And I have to challenge you guys as listeners, if you're not going there with God and you're in the area of giving, then you may not be fully surrendered. And I've seen people that have said, you know what, I don't even think I was saved until I was willing to give. Ooh. And Ooh. so if you're like holding on to that idol and you're saying, hey, I... I'm not a giver, I'm not gonna give, I'm into Jesus, that's cool, but I'm not willing, then you haven't, you haven't really surrendered to the Lord. You might need to check yourself and make sure that you're even following Him. The first time I met you was at Kay's house in the backyard. We were all having cigars. It was a great group of dudes. And you mentioned when you walk into a church, how a generous spirit really ultimately starts with the pastor. and. So talk about that and talk about the pastors who are really struggling and they, they themselves haven't been able to give really and how you've walked through. Give a couple examples. I've been um, using analytics to study churches. I have never seen, and I say never with a capital N, I've never seen a generous church led by a non-generous pastor. I was brought up to a church in Michigan one time and they said, hey, we want to build this culture of generosity where people are radically generous. And as I taught for the day, I just didn't feel like they were following me. So I, after I got done, I pulled their giving records, the senior team's giving records. I had access to all their data. Mm -hmm. And I realized none of them were givers. None of them were even tithing. They weren't giving. One of them had given $10 in five years. Five years, wow. $10. That's it. Oh a leader of the church. Leaders of the church. This is their senior team. And I, I called them together after a weekend. I said, hey, help me understand something. How do you guys build a generous church when none of you are givers? How do you do this? And it was really quiet, as you can imagine. And 
oh, after a while, one of them said, you know, we don't believe that giving is just money. We think it's time. And I said, no, you just did a tithe challenge where you tried to get people to tithe and none of you are tithing. How do you do this? Revival will not, pass, will not hop over the senior leadership team. They have to go there first. To their credit, they said, we feel really convicted. We're going to get it right. That's cool. And um, God used me to, to help them. I've seen that quite a few times because the church will call me because their finances are in trouble. And they're usually in trouble because the leadership are not givers. And then it's not trickling into the people in the pews because the last thing a pastor is going to get up there and talk about is giving if he's not a giver. It'd be like the guy talking about sexual purity who's uh, looking at pornography every night. It's, they're not going to go there. So once God gets a hold of their heart, they get a testimony and a story. And now people are following them, not because it's what they teach them. It's because how they live and how they actually walk with the Lord. So pastors aren't trained on this. Most of the time, they're not great with money. They've got to get some teaching around it. And once they do, they'll have a testimony. And then it'll become a generosity revolution within the church. Well, talk about, I remember you giving a specific example of a pastor who was just struggling financially and how you really came alongside of him and walked him through how to free up money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of the things I'll ask when I'm with a team of leaders, I'll ask the pastor or the senior leadership or the elders, I ask them, who pulls your giving records? And I can tell when I ask that question, it's like a bomb goes off. Half of them are like, oh, you know, that's no big deal. I'm a giver, it's, you know no shock but when they get like defensive i know they're not giving yeah so this group came into my office at gateway group of elders and their their pastor and i asked that question i said uh, pastor who pulls your giving records and he kind of stammered and hemmed and hawed and i didn't let him off the hook i said hey you know are you a giver and to his credit he starts kind of choking up and he's like look i'm going through a really hard time financially and I said, well, tell me what's going on. He starts crying. He said, I bought a house when I was in seminary. He'd gone to seminary in his 30s. Yeah. And he said, I, I got a call to this church about two years ago. I couldn't sell the house at the in the town where I was in seminary, but I bought another house when I moved to this church. And I'm about to go into foreclosure on the house at the seminary. Oh. And he's like, I, the last pastor was let go for financial impropriety. I've not told anybody this. I've been carrying the weight of trying to manage my money and and now I've got a church that's struggling financially and he said I I don't know what to do I'm getting crushed by the weight of the stress I said guys let's stop for a moment let's gather around let's pray and the elders surrounded him they prayed over him I began to walk with him as his budget coach after that helped him get his finances in order got him we went through a short sale in the house that was at the university town and um, he began giving and had a radical transformation experience. And guess what? He led that congregation because it wasn't theoretical at that point. He saw God's hand of mercy in his life and he was passionate about it. But to that eldership's credit, they didn't kick him to the curb. They didn't shoot him. Those Christians are known for shooting our wounded. Yeah. They ministered to him and they loved him. And I think their church was really blessed because of it. That's fantastic. So Gunner, how do people get a hold of you again? Uh, LearnGenerosity.com is my website or FinancialFreedom.Courses. And I'd love to help whatever church leaders out there trying to figure this out. It's one of the biggest killers of churches right now. When I travel around the country and I find a church that's closed down, I stop and take pictures mm. because it hurts my heart to see a Mormon church or Jehovah's Witness group or a mosque or whoever, or grocery store, nightclub, um, you know, restaurant by a church building because 
that church didn't walk in generosity. They weren't kingdom-minded and weren't having a kingdom impact, so they closed. I want churches to thrive. I want pastors to live financially balanced lives. Hey, I go after the guys that are on preacher sneaker as well, that are living like kings. That stuff gives the body of Christ a black eye. Uh, you can't pimp the bride for your own lifestyle. It's not right. So on either end of the spectrum, either they take a position of being greedy and materialistic or they take a position of being poverty-stricken, neither of those perspectives are right according to the Bible. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8, I could ask for gifts from you, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, so that I don't discredit the gospel, I work with my own hands. Now. Wouldn't it be amazing if leaders across this country began to manage their money, lead the church around finances in a way that maximized their kingdom impact on the culture because they lived it right? I think we have a revival right at our fingertips. We're in the most prosperous generation that has ever lived on the face of the earth. We can change a lot of issues in the body of Christ. We can bring a lot of people in if we just get this money area straight. That's the revival that happened in Acts chapter 2. All things were shared in common. There was a radical move of generosity that followed a radical move of God and salvation. You don't just partner with churches and come in as a consultant, but you also speak. Yeah, I preach. I'll help fire up a church with a couple caveats. I don't want to be the hired gun to teach on generosity when the pastoral staff won't go there. So if they'll go there and they'll minister across all socioeconomic levels, I'll come in and speak as part of that group but I won't be the guy that carries the load for them. That's just, what I say might inspire and encourage, but they need their pastor to live it with them and walk it out and help people get their lives right in this area. Half of people in America are stressed out over money, dealing with money problems. It's the number one cause of divorce. Uh, we have the tsunami of student loan debt, $1.4 trillion coming our way. We have kids coming out of college with freaking mortgage size payments on their student loans, yeah. it's gonna cause a lot of issues in our society as we move forward. We gotta get this area right. Luckily, the Bible has 2,300 scriptures on money <laughs> and it tells us exactly how to do it. So before the interview, Kay mentioned something about a story about Israel. Talk about oh. that. Oh, I love Israel. I got involved in Israel about 20 years ago. I read in scripture that um, Romans 1.16 is a passage we all know really well. It's, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. But there's a comma there, and most people stop at that comma. But it goes on to say, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. So I asked the Lord, what the heck does that mean? How do you share the gospel with the Jews? So I began to study, like the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And I, I realized from Romans 9, 10, and 11 that the Jewish people hold a very special place in the lives of us Gentile believers. We owe them the gift of salvation to share who the Messiah really is. The Jews even today are waiting on their Messiah to show up in Israel. And I have great news for them. He's here, he's been here, and he's coming back. All the Messianic passages in the Old Testament point back to Jesus. And so it's amazing. Well, anyways, uh, 2006, I was on an Israel trip, a prayer and worship trip, and I was sitting on the steps of Solomon's promenade on the temple. Many of you have probably been there. It's on the side that faces the city of David. And the Lord told me, I want you to build businesses in Israel. I'm like, Lord, you know who I am. And I'm not that talented. So how do I do this? And the Lord said, go back to your friends who are entrepreneurs in Texas and ask them to help you. So I did. I went home. I said, guys, 
you're all great entrepreneurs. I have a young group of guys that are um, really, really successful. And I said, hey, why don't we take your business gifts and go to Israel and do like Shark Tank where we build businesses. And so we went back on an exploratory trip. They had all these great ideas. We partnered, of course, God had raised up people in the land who had this calling. And we formed a, a ministry called the Israel First Fruits and begun doing a business school in Israel for Messianic leaders, Messianic being uh, Jews who believe in Jesus. They'd have to get a, a certification or a recommendation from their pastor. And then we'd put them in our business school. They'd come out with a business plan, and then they'd present their business plan to an international group of venture capital folks and angel investors. And the Americans, and we have a good group coming from China, we have a good group coming from India, uh, we've got internationals coming in to help. We've launched over 100 companies in almost 10 years in Israel, in just a little over 10 years now. And um, it's, what it's doing is it's causing generosity to grow within the congregations as these business leaders are successful. The Messianics are becoming the head of the, the employment class, and um, we're seeing pastors not have to come over to the United States from Israel to raise money quite as much. Um, they're being funded by their own congregations. The awesome life change that happens is the life of the individual business owner that comes from the United States and sees that his skills can be used in the marketplace in Israel to actually make a difference. So it's one of the amazing projects I'm involved in and um, God's favor has been all over it. And we're even getting favor from the government. Um, they like evangelical Christians. You know, We not only come over as tourists and give a lot of money, but if we're creating commerce through reoccurring revenue and business, they're really favorable to have us over there. So it's a really cool process. I, I actually think God called me to teach on money so that I could do things like this with the Jewish people. That's fantastic. All right, let's close this out with rapid fire questions. Hey everyone, before we get to Gunner's rapid fire segment, I need to break in and talk about today's sponsors. Are you like me where you start a book, then bright shiny object syndrome distracts you and you start a new book? Soon, if you're like me, you got four or five books on your nightstand or that are unfinished on your Kindle. Well, last year, I subscribed to a book summary service called Blinkist. Blinkist divides the biggest thoughts and ideas of every book they summarize into short little blinks. That's what they call them. And you can finish most of their summaries in less than 15 minutes. The app is beautifully designed. You can listen to audio versions while on the go or while reading along in the app. Uh, Holy Smoker Buddy and my executive coach, John Ramstead, told me a number of years ago to read at least 10 pages of a book in bed before going to sleep. Well, I've translated that into a Blinkist summary every night. There are some that I'll reread over days to really get those key points into my conscious and subconscious. One that comes to mind is how to win friends and influence people. Uh, try them for a seven-day free trial. And if you like the service and end up subscribing by using our affiliate link at holysmokes.club slash blink, uh, you'll be helping to offset the costs associated with producing this show for you. One last time, the link, holysmokes.club slash blink. More importantly, this show is brought to you by you, we are a 501c3 organization and your tax deductible donations are what pays our bills and will allow us to help spread the word about faith, friendship, find back when drink. You can go to paypal.me slash holysmokesclub to make your donation. That's paypal.me slash holysmokesclub. Now, under Gunner's rapid fire segment. Rapid fire. Fire. What do you prefer? 
Cigars or pipe? Cigars. What's your favorite cigar? Pretty much anything by Ezra Zion. I love how they blend their cigars. I don't have one particular favorite. I like their whole brand. All right. What's your splurge cigar? You're celebrating something. What are you going to go get? <laughs> well, I am a stewardship guy. So I order whatever's on sale from the Ezra Zion guys. So that is my splurge right there. <laughs> Favorite liquid pairing with your smoke? Oh, man. You know, I like uh, Blue Moon. I also really like uh, root beer. I think root beer, the vanilla in the root beer really set off the cigar. I like Dr. Pepper. Um, nice. And then there's quite a few. Oak and Eden whiskey's my favorite whiskey to drink with uh, my cigars if I'm going to go that route. So, yeah. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars for sure. Dogs, cats, neither or both? Are there anything other than dogs? <laughs> I have a German Shepherd who's my best friend. <laughs> Nickname growing up in college or growing up? Well, being named Gunner right out of the chute, I didn't have to have a nickname. Ah. <laughs> Toilet paper, over or under? Over, for sure. If you were arrested with no explanation, what would your friends and family assume you had done? They'd definitely be speeding and possibly uh, riding and doing stunts on motorcycles. I do ride a motorcycle everywhere. What's one unusual fact that few people know about you? I raced lightweight superbike in my 20s. Um, that's usually a surprise. Oh. <laughs> All right, the last two. If you could have a holy smoke with anyone in history, who would those three people be? And you can't name Jesus because everyone's going to name Jesus. Right. Well, I'd love to hang out with Peter. I would have loved to have heard his stories of transformation. I would love to have had time with Ronald Reagan. Um, he's nice. one of my heroes and icons. And then, um, believe it or not, I'd really love to hang out with uh, Dennis Rodman. Hopefully someday I'd get that chance. I've dreamed about leading him to the Lord because I see a guy that's in a lot of pain, that's hurting, searching for everything. So if any of you know Dennis Rodman, hook me up. I'd love to hang out with the guy. We have a wide network in Holy Smokes and someone may be able to get that to happen. I think he's a cigar guy too. I believe he is. Yeah. I would not be I surprised. I would not doubt it. All right, last question. If we were to meet one year from now and I had a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating? Oh, I'd love to celebrate massive success in seeing transformational overhauls of churches all across the country and in Europe and every other first world country that could have an influence on the rest of the world. And what's one way in which the Holy Smokes community can help partner with you and see that happen? Well, most of you are probably involved in a church. I'd love to talk to your pastors and have a chance to serve them and love them and take some of the pressure off of them around this subject of money and faith. Holy Smokes community? The gauntlet has been thrown down. Let's help this guy out. So, Gunner, thanks for being on. Thank you. This was amazing. Thanks, Gunner.